Welcome back to Rethinking Reality. This is our seventh episode. Today, let's talk about how other people's brains work. In the last episode, I talked about autism, so that will be uh, a focus again in this episode. But um, yeah, I'm going to explain to you sort of the basics of how autistic brains function, how they uh, process information how neurotypical brains do it. And there are a lot of people who have a, a kind of a mixture of the two, and I'll explain that as well. But um, we're not limited to that. There is a lot of fascinating variety in how the human brain can work. And we tend to have absolutely no idea that other people's brains aren't doing what ours are doing most of the time. And so we don't realize how fundamentally different of a reality other people are living in than we are. Now, most of you are going to experience some cognitive resistance with this information. And this just, I've noticed uh, pretty much across the board, almost everyone who hears this has basically the same reaction, which means this is just the human brain's reaction to hearing that other brains do stuff that they can't conceive of. And um, this basically always goes the same way. When I describe the way your brain works, you're not going to be impressed at all. It's going to feel like, yeah, duh. And uh, it's just like, it's so ingrained that that is just how brains work, that it's going to be really hard for you to believe that uh, that's how your brain works, but not how everybody's does. When you are going to disbelieve me is uh, when I describe how other people's brains work. And that's what is so fascinating and also infuriating about this. So I don't know why I keep doing it even. But um, I have at this point shared this information <laughs> thanks to some viral TikToks with literally hundreds of thousands of people. And I have gotten thousands and thousands of responses. Nobody has ever thought I was wrong <laughs> about their brain. It's always they don't believe me that the other kind can exist. But like, I've just talked to that other kind of person who <laughs> confirmed that, yeah, of course, of course that's how my brain works. And, oh man, it drives me <laughs> nuts, honestly. And so, yes, you are going to have that reaction. And uh, it's wrong. And so just don't listen to it, okay? <laughs> uh, now, what's my authority to explain all of this? Because that's... I mean, that is another cause for um, some doubt in what I'm going to say. That, that's fine. Because I am going to say things that you can't really find anywhere else. And it's because I figured it out. Like, this is sort of the big discovery of my life. 
and probably the coolest thing my subconscious brain has ever done for me is uh, I didn't even realize that basically my whole life I was collecting millions, billions of data points of uh, how other people express themselves and communicate with each other. And I didn't even realize that subconsciously I was looking for patterns and uh, recognizing the thought processes that underlie um, those, how people express themselves. And then I guess one day my subconscious was just done, you know, crunching the numbers and suddenly I just knew it. And then I set out to prove myself wrong. And I mean, a great way to uh, test if you really have figured out how other people's brains work is just tell people how you think their brain works. And so I did this a lot. And if, I, I haven't been wrong. I haven't been wrong once. So, I mean, is this a, this is, is this a definitive way, uh, you know, description of all the variety of the human mind? Absolutely not. Um, this is one way to look at it and describe it. But I promise you, everything I'm going to tell you is true. And it's not just my opinion. Because this is all stuff I have verified from talking to other people. So let's start small. Have you ever seen one of those posts go around social media where someone finds out that uh, some people do or don't have a running monologue in their head or other people do or don't actually see pictures inside their mind and then people are like, I can't believe this and they're like, I don't believe that that even exists and this happens <laughs> all the time so uh, some people have yeah a constantly running monologue in their minds verbal they're talking to themselves in their minds other people do not neither of these is a signifier of intelligence or depth or being an npc or anything like that just different ways for brains to work personally yeah my brain is talking to me all the fucking time. But uh, even my mom, hers is not. She's told me. So it's not um, it's not particularly meaningful like about a person. It's just a way a brain can work or not. Um, and then some people can truly visualize images in what we call the mind's eye. And for other people, they have gone their entire lives assuming that that was uh, metaphorical when people are talking about it because they cannot do that. Um, that's called aphantasia. It is a lot more common than people think. Um, I've done just some personal, like, informal polls on Twitter, and I found that um, autistic people, neurodivergent people, and neurotypical people all can experience aphantasia. And far from it being this, like, rare 1% of the population thing like I've heard. No, it's maybe 25% of the population. It's, it's a lot more. And granted, um, maybe, you know, I just have a very particular uh, Twitter following that doesn't see images in their brains, but well, it feels unlikely. Personally, I can see images in my mind. Um, a lot of times I can see them very clearly, especially places. I can 
envision places um, perfectly, whether I've imagined them or a place that I know. But interestingly enough, I can't uh, see a, someone's face in my mind just whenever I want to. Uh, even like my own face, my best friend's face, my mom's face. Like if I try and think, what does my mom look like? Like I'll have a hard time. But clearly I can see pictures in my subconscious mind. And so sometimes my subconscious mind will then pop the person's face into my mind. But sometimes it won't. And it feels like my conscious brain like sends a request down there and sometimes it gets filled and sometimes it does not. Interestingly, I'm actually very good with faces um, and names. Like if I see someone's picture with their name under it, I will remember it even if I don't want to and I don't know them. Sometimes I will then meet them later. I have to pretend I don't already know their name um, because clearly my subconscious is taking care of that. If I want to try and see someone's face in my mind, I can start with like a little detail kind of off to the side. Like I'll think, okay, what does their hair look like or their ear or something? And then it can sort of feel like I start to see the rest of their face in my peripheral vision. Um, another way is if I think of a specific picture of them, that can work. and. I think that the faces are incredibly complex. They are a bajillion data points. And uh, I think my conscious brain, like to ser conserve some processing power, just um, that's one of the things it cut out. <laughs> it is um, common among autistic people to have uh, prosopagnosia, which um, the other term for it, which is not favored, is uh, face blindness. And that is uh, an inability to even recognize people's faces, you know, even people that you know. And there's a very wide spectrum there of how that can manifest and how seriously. I mean, some people, they couldn't recognize their wife. Some people, they just need to meet you like 20 times. Um, I had a friend who could not recognize my face, but um, I wore a yellow watch. And at first he can't remember my name either. We were friends for like months. But uh, he would call me yellow watch. And so I wore my yellow watch and then he would always know it was me. And eventually he'd, you know, learn my face and my name. Um, and I think that this is similar to why I can't, you know, summon someone's face in my mind. It's just too many, too many data points, you know, just uh, makes the little spinny wheel of death in your brain. So can't do it. Uh, I personally have dubbed the phenomenon of being able to see images in your mind, except for faces as prosopagnosic aphantasia. Also did some polls about that. And I am far from the only person who has it. Um, from my memory, only neurodivergent people do though. No neurotypical people or, you know, people who self-reported as neurotypical experience that, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, like sometimes I don't really understand why 
I seem to be figuring things out, discovering things about the brain that no one else has. Like, why? Why am I the first person to notice that or talk about it? Am I? I can't find any other information about it. But, like, I shouldn't be. This is not my job. I do think, however, that, (laughs) you know, if uh, I have a Rain Man skill, I think it is that my brain can kind of shed its own skin and uh, I'm a lot better at imagining what it is like to be in someone else's brain than most people are. And I think that's just what I'm good at. Because I'm not like a medical doctor or, you know, um, PhD in psychology or something, this sometimes makes people very mad that I claim to know these things, but I fucking know these things. I just do. Like, all right, now I'm going to explain autism and uh, neurotypicalism, neurodivergence to you. And it's a lot less <laughs> complicated than people think, at least um, the basic difference. Um, <laughs> So many people are like, what is autism, you know? What causes it? And act like it's some mystery, but it's not. It's just, it's like the operating system that your brain runs on. And there are essentially two operating systems. There's Windows and Mac. And then some people have (laughs) jailbroken computers that run both Windows and Mac. And those are the three neurotypes. So you have the autistic neurotype, which runs the autistic operating system. Now, of course, the operating system is only the beginning. You got whatever software you're running. You have whatever tabs you got open on your browser. Like there's so much more that goes into a brain. So yes, these are some broad generalizations, but it's generalizing the same way we can generalize by saying, you know, the human skeleton has two femurs. Like, okay, yeah, not everyone is going to have that, but most people are. Um, it's just, but that's not all there is to know about legs, you know? Um, <laughs> so the neurotypical brain has a different operating system, and it only runs that one. Then the neurodivergent brain, or, and this, like, the terminology does get confusing, because neurodivergent essentially comprises both autistic people and non-autistic neurodivergent people. I'm going to use neurodivergent just sort of as a shorthand for neurodivergent but not autistic. And what that really means is they have both operating systems in their brain. You're, uh, you got a Google phone with iOS on it, and <laughs> none of these operating systems are better than the others. None of them is a disorder. <laughs> they are fundamentally different. The way that an autistic brain and a neurotypical brain process information is just a different algorithm is a different way to process information. It's in a different order. It's (laughs) organized differently, prioritizes things differently. But both of these systems clearly work just fine, or one of them would have died out by now. 
and that has not happened. All this terminology is uh, deeply flawed because there really is no such thing as neurotypical. Typical. I don't think it's particularly typical. It's maybe half. I mean, I would say at least 40% of the population is neurodivergent. That's my personal estimate. And I mean, it's hard to make those estimates because also I clearly (laughs) just instinctively only surround myself with neurodivergent people. So I don't really know very many neurotypical people. But (laughs) we really have just decided that you're neurotypical by default unless otherwise diagnosed. And that's ridiculous. So it means a lot of people think they are neurotypical who are not. I spent the vast majority of my life assuming that I was neurotypical, and I assumed that the way my brain worked and processed thoughts was the way everybody's brain works and processes thoughts. And that is the one thing that (laughs) every neurotype has in common, is we all think that our brain is the one that makes sense. And we assume every brain works like ours, and it's very hard to imagine a brain working differently. And it's just because brains really can't conceive of functioning in a different way than they do. Right now, try and put yourself in the mind of a squirrel. Try and like have your brain think like a squirrel's brain. You can't. You can imagine it, but it's going to be <laughs> a human brain's interpretation and version and certainly wildly inaccurate because brains really only know how to do what they do. I personally have labeled these the rational and instinctive thought processes. Those are also not perfect terms because uh, neurotypical people are also capable of rational thought and autistic people do have instincts. And yet, the basic thought process that the autistic brain runs on is more based in rational thought. It is methodical and analytical and long, has a lot of data in it. And the neurotypical thought process is a lot faster and um, kind of batch processes information. And these both have uh, evolutionary advantages. So first I'm going to explain the autistic thought process. So this is mine. You know, this is the way my brain works. And if you listen to this and you think, no, that's how everyone's brain works, congratulations, you are autistic. (laughs) So here's how a thought works. It basically goes in a linear fashion, step by step. And each step must be done. Because uh, in order to make a decision to learn something, really just to process information, the autistic brain requires a lot of different data points because it requires like a full picture of it. And if you don't have a certain data point, you can't really skip over it. The thought processor freezes right there. So you take in a new stimulus. The autistic brain tries to get as much information as it can. What is this? Um, why is it happening? How does it work? And 
if a decision needs to be made, you know, an opinion needs to be reached, the autistic brain is going to want to look at as many viewpoints as possible and weigh them. And it is going to attempt to do this as impersonally as possible. So the autistic brain naturally attempts to see things outside of their own perspective and attempts to not value their own perspective more just because it is theirs. So, for example, you have three people eating lunch, but only two sandwiches. The autistic person is going to think, how is this going to affect each of us? Who is going to be affected the most? Which one of us is hungriest? Which one of us has low blood sugar? Which one of us can handle going without lunch? And they will not value themselves getting a sandwich just because it's themselves. The autistic person's own opinion and own benefit will factor into the equation, but it's just not more heavily weighted than any other part. And uh, once <laughs> our brains figure out what we want to happen or how we are interpreting the situation, then we attempt to think of what's the complete opposite. We argue <laughs> with ourselves in our minds to check ourselves at all times, really. Um, we think, what is the exact opposite opinion of mine? And maybe is that one correct? And then once the calculation has been done, and if it is clear, that someone else needs that sandwich more than you do, the autistic person is not really going to be able to choose themselves. In general, if it's not the logical and rational choice, if the consequences for someone else would be more severe, then they have to choose to give the sandwich to someone else. And they might really want that sandwich. But what we want just doesn't get to outweigh the other data. It just doesn't in the algorithm, even if we wish that we could weigh it more heavily. It's just not how our brains make decisions. Now, if we logically look at it and we know we're really hungry and this other person, they don't seem to be too hungry. They just ate an hour ago. Then, yeah, we can choose ourselves. It is the logical rational, correct decision that we need the sandwich more. So, yeah, we can have it. Another incredibly important data point that the autistic brain always needs to process information, to understand things, to learn things, to make decisions, is why. We always have to ask why. We need a reason for everything. This is something a lot of non-autistic people do not understand about autistic people, that why is not optional. It's not optional information. Our brains need it to process because it goes in order. When our brains process the data in a certain linear fashion. And if you don't have X, then you cannot solve the equation. And if we do not get an answer for why, we will try and figure out what is the most likely reason. We have to put a reason in there. Autistic brains 
process an incredible amount of minute data points altogether. That is just in essence how our brands work. They are massive (laughs) data processing machines. So we look at everything data point by data point. And this can be a great thing. It is a reason why (laughs) we can look at information that other people have looked at and um, not been able to find a correct (laughs) explanation or answer or solution. And um, we are looking at it from the beginning without preconceptions about how it's supposed to work. And so then we can find a uh, actual solution or explanation. We can see things for how they really are, sometimes that other people cannot. And yet, it can also be a bad thing. It's very overwhelming for the brain to have to process that much information. We don't have enough shortcuts. We're having to manage so many things manually. It's a lot of work. It takes a lot of energy. It can make something that is simple for a neurotypical person very difficult for us. Like, for example, uh, let's say I am going to take the bus in a new city. My brain is going to have to take in an incredible amount of new information for me to figure out how to do it. A neurotypical brain will kind of gloss over a lot of the data points it finds irrelevant. and focus on what is useful. An autistic brain has to understand something to know it. A neurotypical brain does not. It can know something without understanding it. I don't know if that makes sense yet, but hopefully it will. And again, I want to stress that uh, that doesn't mean that either of these is uh, worse than the other one. And it doesn't mean that uh, I'm definitely not ever going to be calling anybody stupid, okay? So just Don't ever read that into it. Now, with these information-centered brains that are uh, observing, analyzing, processing so much data all the time, the way the autistic brain prioritizes what to pay attention to and what not to is based on what is interesting. I talked about that some in the last episode about how... um, I realized when I finally realized that I was autistic that um, I had learned social skills because they were interesting to me. And autistic people with quote unquote worse social skills don't have some inherent defect. It wasn't as interesting to them. They were learning something else, something that I didn't learn because it wasn't as interesting to me. Now, if you are autistic, whether you know it or not, It's going to feel like, well, how else could a brain process something or prioritize something besides what's interesting? Obviously, because that is so obvious to us. It feels so clearly logical, which is why the neurotypical world and communication style and uh, their interest can be baffling to us because it seems very boring. Aren't they bored? But being bored is what we're worried about. Because their brains use a different system to prioritize information. So let's now briefly describe the neurotypical operating system and how it works. This is what I call the instinctive processing system. (laughs) 
the neurotypical brain, the instinctive thought process, it's more like a batch data processor. It's a symbolic thinker. It does not look at everything data point by data point. And it uh, does not necessarily work in a linear fashion. It's kind of like a like a shell, concentric circles. It's always looping back to the same thing. Every thought first has to go through basically the survival instinct. I've called this the ego. You can call it something else if you want, but it is the how does this affect me and my survival? Fight or flight, whatever it is. That is the very first consideration for the brain. Now, this is incredibly different. Think about it. The autistic thought process, the first thing is trying to understand what is this, trying to focus on the thing itself. But the neurotypical brain is not as focused on the thing itself. It is how is this thing related to me? What is it going to do to me? This description sometimes makes autistic people uncomfortable because uh, it feels insulting, but it's not. Because uh, think of it in just a survival uh, mode or, um, you know, an evolutionary perspective. It makes a lot of sense. When you are confronted with new information, a being that wants to survive should think, what is it going, is it going to kill me or not? Like, how should I react to it? It doesn't necessarily make as much sense to try and find everything out about things. Like, what, okay, a lion comes up to your, uh, <laughs> your cave, your caveman, <laughs> and an autistic person is trying to, like, assess what it is and how big it is, you know, and, oh, well, are those fangs? And a an typical person is just like, run or stab it, you know? Which of these is correct? Neither is correct. But in the case of, you know, a lion coming up to your cave, it's probably not ideal to have the autistic thought process. It's probably better in that situation to process information first and foremost through how does it affect you. But as I said earlier, Every neurotype deeply believes that everyone thinks like them. And this, <laughs> this is a problem because neurotypical people always consider how something affects them first and foremost. And how something affects them does have a greater weight in their decision-making process just because it affects them. This is completely logical for how their brain works and prioritizes information and they think <laughs> well deeply believe not just think deeply believe that everyone's brain does this and if you say your brain does not do that you're just trying to sound like a better person than everybody else and so <laughs> that can make the world difficult for autistic people because we don't realize that everyone's looking out for number one but us you know we're over here doing some complicated calculation to see who's going to be affected most by this action and to what degree. And we can't just look out for number one. But neurotypical people are making their decisions with the assumption that everyone else is looking out for themselves first and foremost. So you have to also. The other part of that survival instinct id 
processing that neurotypical brains do is thinking, how does this affect my standing with my social group? So that is the other thing that always their brain thinks about is how does this affect my status? Is this good for me? Is this bad for me? And that is also, you know, it's clearly a part of survival. Are you in the in your community or are you getting kicked out? So whereas the autistic brain is information focused, it's focused on what is this thing? I want to understand it. The neurotypical brain, while of course capable of understanding things, learning about them, that's not how their brain prioritizes. You could say that it is utility focused, or you could say that is emotion focused. This is also hard <laughs> because uh, the neurotypical thought process is a more emotional thought process. That's how instincts work. Emotions are faster. <laughs> um, but people don't like it when you say that because uh, we have <laughs> developed this value system in our culture that says emotions are bad. And so everybody wants to say that uh, they are rational thinkers and not emotional. And this is just not true. And also, it's a pointless value system. There's nothing wrong with emotions. Um, but that does make it hard to discuss this because <laughs> uh, people don't want to hear that, you know, they're the way they think is emotional, but absolutely it is because the brain is thinking, do I like this or not? Is this good for me or not? And so this is why neurotypical people frequently think autistic people have pointless interests, do, do pointless things because <laughs> It doesn't do anything for you in their minds. You know, what does it do? Does it make you money? Does it <laughs> make you a higher status in your community? No, then why are you doing it? But an autistic brain that is just focused on information and prioritizes what is interesting thinks engaging in this interesting information is valuable in and of itself. Now, all of us are capable of intellectual thought. We're capable of caring about things that aren't necessarily how our brain prioritizes. Like um, an autistic person can want to make more uh, decisions that benefit themselves. You know, we can try to be more selfish. And um, a neurotypical person can deeply care about other people. And yet, what you intellectually think or care about just is not going to change the way <laughs> that your brain processes information without fucking asking you. So here's a concrete example. During a quarantine, you know, the first six months or so of COVID, I mean, I quarantined for a year, but <laughs> um, I had some friends that I loved. I deeply believe were good people. I was sure that they cared about other people. And yet they were going out, going to parties, hanging out with people, being irresponsible. And this 
wrecked me trying to understand it because I could not make those decisions. I couldn't because to me, anytime someone <laughs> would invite me to do something, I would think about, well, what if I am, you know, um, I'm an asymptomatic carrier. I infect someone. They infect their dad. He dies. Their whole family dies. Like, I was always thinking about the hypothetical people I didn't know who could be affected by my actions. And how it would affect them was so serious that it outweighed whatever I wanted. Like, yeah, I missed my friends. I missed going out. But other people dying was just more important. And so it tortured me. How are these people who I love, who I know are good and care about others, how are they making these choices? How can they make a choice that it's okay to take the chance of killing somebody? But then when I finally figured out how these thought processes worked, I realized <laughs> it's because their brain isn't calculating that in. It's why people could quarantine really well for a week, maybe. Because that's when you intellectually care about something that can affect your behavior for a certain amount of time. But it just can't affect your behavior for that long. Like, we are ruled by our operating system. And uh, so the, my friends were not thinking the same thing that I was. They weren't thinking about that, you know, family in South LA that might all get COVID. And they weren't putting that into their decision-making process every time they left the house. Because they can't. That's just not what their brain does. And it's not like I chose to think about those hypothetical people that I might affect because I'm such a good person. My brain does that whether I want it to or not. Even if it's torturous. And sometimes it was torturous. Every single thing you do, you might kill people. It makes it very hard to do anything. And it's not just... Uh, how things will affect other people that um, are not <laughs> included in the neurotypical decision-making process, but also long-term effects on themselves. Like, for me, I cannot ignore uh, the consequences that I will face long-term for a decision. So I, you know, I don't smoke cigarettes, and I don't drive drunk, and I wear my seatbelt. <laughs> but neurotypical people... That's just a little too, it doesn't feel real and present and important enough for the way their brain prioritizes information. It's very current. Now, how does this affect me now? And so obviously I'm not saying no autistic people smoke cigarettes, only neurotypicals do. But in general, our brains are going to make us think about the long-term consequences of a decision. And neurotypical people's brains are not going to make them do that. And it might even be hard to truly weigh that in a decision-making process. The neurotypical brain, it uses symbols. Um, it does not need to understand everything about something to, uh, to know it, to use that knowledge. And this is, this is a concept that's, it's hard to understand. Um, but here's an example that I hope helps. So math 
it's interesting, but neurotypical people and autistic people do math differently. Basically, any autistic person you talk to, ask them how they do math in their own head. We all do it the same way. And some of us, a lot of us maybe, um, have difficulty with certain things uh, as kids that come a lot more easily to neurotypical kids because of how our brains are using that information. So numbers, math. When autistic people do math in our heads, we essentially see numbers as composites of all their parts, and we put them together in uh, structures that make sense and are easy for the brain to do quickly. So if I say 7 plus 5, basically any autistic person, I mean, this is obviously a very simple example, so <laughs> you probably wouldn't need to do it for 7 plus 5, but our brain is going to go, okay, well, 7 plus 3 is 10, and then 2 more, well, that's 12. And our typical person is not going to do this because numbers are not <laughs> composites of their parts. They are these full things in the uh, in and of themselves. A seven is a seven. We could just use that concept. A three is a three. And once again, I mean, there's value to both ways. It means uh, sometimes neurotypical kids can pick some things up faster, but they don't really understand how it works. And an autistic person might take longer to learn it because we have to learn. We have to understand how it works. But then when we know it, we fucking know it. I had a hard time learning to tell time on an analog clock as a kid. And uh, I was definitely behind other kids. And now I understand. Um, neurotypical kids, they can just kind of memorize stuff outside of a context. It doesn't need to have a context to explain it to make it make sense. So they could just memorize, oh, when the little hand is over there. That means it's 15 minutes. But I didn't learn to read a clock until my mom <laughs> explained that uh, it was like a pie. It was, you know, a pie chart. Fractions. Halves and quarters. And when I could see how it fit together, boom. Then it was easy. And this is a huge misunderstanding that, uh, I mean, leads neurotypical people to assume that autistic people are stupid. Because why am I in fourth grade and I can't tell time? Well, because it doesn't mean anything to me yet. But they don't need it to mean anything. Why is optional information for a neurotypical brain? A neurotypical person does not need to know why something is happening, why something exists, why it is this way, why they're being asked to do this. Maybe they want to know, maybe they don't. They don't need to know. So this gets us into one, maybe the biggest difference in the fundamental realities that we are living in is for neurotypical people, concepts invented by humans are real. They're real in and of themselves. Neurotypical people live in a social reality where social constructs are real. And there really is no sense of some other objective reality, some universal reality. 
what is material, <laughs> what is uh, ingrained in them societally, that is real. So an example is uh, like transphobic conservatives. They'll say, a man's a man, a woman's a woman. That's that. Because they think that. They think that this cultural idea, oh, a, a man has a penis and likes sports and does not wear makeup. They think that that is some universal truth. It's not. It's cultural. It's just made up. Social status and authority are real to a neurotypical person. So when they think you have to respect police officers, it's because they think that. They feel some sense of authority. The idea that your parents can just tell you what to do and you have to listen to them because they're adults and you're a kid. These are just social ideas, but not to them. But to an autistic person, these are constructs and they need to be explained. Why do I need to listen to the cop? Why do I need to listen to the teacher? And this is where like the word real can be kind of tricky too, because of course, social constructs are <laughs> real in that they have real consequences. Why do I have to listen to a cop? Because he can put me in jail and I don't want to go to jail. But do I believe <laughs> there is some inherent right he has over me? No, no, I do not. You know, people are going to college philosophy classes to learn that money is a social construct and linear time is a social construct blowing their minds and i just did not realize this because i have always known that these things don't have some inherent universal truth or existence or fact we just agreed to believe in them so we could build a society <laughs> and i thought that like we all knew that I thought, obviously, we all know that like, these are just social agreements. But no, that is not how neurotypical people see them. And they're not wrong. It's a different way to think. I mean, to them, this is, this is the material world. It's right here. So a man with a beard and Levi's on, you know, this is a, a thing. They can feel tangible to them. When someone like me talks about gender as something that does not isn't real uh, can be to me the rules can be changed because they don't mean anything they don't really mean anything so all of that is negotiable but to a neurotypical person this thing i'm talking about like a person that exists outside of gender that is a hypothetical thing that sounds like, uh, that's why they talk about, you know, liberals and fantasy land coming up with new genders every day. Because the idea that something might exist outside of cultural norms, that doesn't make sense to them. It literally does not compute. Like, for me, it does not compute that the social reality is so real for other people like i frequently talk in hypotheticals and to me i'm just talking conceptually and i have a really hard time remembering that other people will be interpreting it 
within the lens of their own lives. And so sometimes, often, that leads them to think I'm saying stuff I'm not saying. Because to them, it makes sense that they're going to filter everything through the lens of their perspective. But I don't realize they're going to do that, even though I should know. But it's hard for my brain to compute. So once again, I'm not saying one is better than the other. They're different. The artistic brain fundamentally believes in the distinction between one's own perspective and opinion and an objective fact, reality, perspective. It's like we're trying to figure out what that objective reality is all the time and trying to see outside of our own perspective. But here is what blew my mind. Like, this is my eureka moment, you know? (laughs) For neurotypical people, there is no difference between their perspective and objective reality. Everything is personal. And that is completely logical to them. I mean, it is, it's incredible. But, uh... (laughs) To a neurotypical person, if you are asking them a question, you are asking them their opinion on it because you're asking them. To an autistic person, you ask us a question. If it's not clearly an opinion question, then we are going to try and answer it as factually as possible. We do not think it is personal. For us, not everything is personal. It's not personal unless explicitly made personal. Autistic people will just, like, say facts. We can just enjoy facts for the sake of facts. But if you just say a fact to a neurotypical person, they will wonder, why did you say this fact to me? Because everything is personal. So it must mean something. It must do something. Because they don't say things just to say things. They don't say things just because it's interesting. Because interesting is not how their brain values information. Because neurotypical brains can take concepts and just pretty much immediately memorize them, use them, without having to break them down and understand them. That means uh, some things can be picked up faster, um, can be learned more easily. But it also means neurotypical people can have a much harder time deconstructing their biases, their assumptions, seeing outside of their cultural perspective. It also just results in autistic and neurotypical people thinking that we're talking about the same thing when we're using the same word. We think we're doing the same thing. We're not. So empathy is a good example. Um, There is this incredibly untrue stereotype that autistic people lack empathy. And here's why. So everyone every human brain can only really understand something in relation to what it knows and what it has experienced. And so when um, somebody says, oh yeah, I'm like, I'm going through a really hard time. My grandma died. An autistic person to empathize is going to try to look through their own experience as much as possible and find whatever is closest, and then usually explain this, and also explain how it's not the same 
but it's the closest we can get, essentially. You know? Oh, yeah. My hamster died. I know it's not the same, but it was so hard. You know, I really, <laughs> I feel for what you're going through, whatever. And this can be misinterpreted as making it about ourselves. Because a neurotypical person would just say, I know how you feel or something. But do they know how the other person feels? If you, like, talk to a neurotypical person about this and you ask them, do you really? That isn't important. It isn't important to them that they haven't really thought through how does this person feel. The point is, you say the nice thing that will make them feel better. And once again, we can see here, the autistic person is focusing on information. And the neurotypical person is focusing on emotion and social bonding. This difference underpins the massive difference in the communication styles. So autistic people are focusing on information when we talk. And this is why we will say things like, why don't they say what they mean? Why the subtext? Why don't they just come out and say it? Because the information is not the point. The subtext is the point. Because the subtext is where the social game is. It's where the competition is. It's where the survival instinct is. Who's on top? Everything is a competition. Because everything is this game of survival where how does this affect me? What is good for me? You avoid things that are bad for you and pursue things that are good for you constantly. You know, autistic people will detest small talk and think, how can they have these boring conversations? Aren't they bored? Well, that's not the point. The point is not to share interesting information. It is to create some feeling shared between the people that has something to do with their social bond and status. So, yeah, when a, a neurotypical person says, how are you, they do not care about the actual answer. They are not looking for a heartfelt explanation of how you're doing. They are doing a polite greeting because they want you to do the correct one back, and then you come away with it having created the correct emotion <laughs> between the two of you. And that is the point. And that just doesn't make sense for us. Because for us, the information is the point. We wouldn't ask, how are you, if we didn't want to know. How are you? Not everything is personal for us. Some things are just data points. They are impersonal data points. And that makes perfect sense. I mean, yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. This is how my brain works. But I have come to... <laughs> understand the neurotypical brain enough to understand why their brain makes more sense to them and why ours doesn't because everything is personal to them so why would we just be saying pointless information doing pointless things what's the utility we don't need everything to have a utility who's wrong who's right there is no wrong and right now we're an hour into this and haven't even addressed the third neurotype which, I don't know, might be the most populous one. This is the neurodivergent neurotype, which has both of these operating systems available to them. They can think both ways. This doesn't mean that uh, they will use both with uh, the same amount of frequency, or that one 
feels more natural than the other. I think there's a gigantic amount of variety in that. But in general, for a neurodivergent person, their first thought is going to be using the neurotypical slash instinctive thought process. And this is why for a lot of non-autistic neurodivergent people, they will feel like their first reaction to something is not how they really feel. Their first reaction is that instinctive one. How does this affect me? Maybe it's defensive. Maybe it's offended, petty, vengeful. (laughs) But then if they sit down and kind of go through their other thought process, they will figure out how they really feel or the choice they really want to make. And to me, that is just, it varies based off of sort of what is someone's essence. I do think that one of those thought processes is going to reflect more someone's sort of core personality and being. But it's also shaped a lot by the culture that we're in. And uh, a lot of neurodivergent people try and make themselves as neurotypical as possible to survive in a neurotypical society. And I do think that uh, the instinctive thought process is always the first one. It is just faster because it is just based off of that (laughs) brainstem fight or flight survival. And yeah, the autistic rational thought process takes longer. I would say more accurate, less efficient. Neurodivergent people can be very similar to autistic people and they can be very dissimilar. So like, for example, um, my best friend, she is not autistic. Um, she can <laughs> comprehend and perceive a lot of things within like the social reality that are just invisible and nonsensical to me. But she understands me perfectly. Like, a lot of times better than I understand myself. And then I have had people who think because they are neurodivergent, they understand my experience, and they have expectations of me that are completely unrealistic because they expect me to do something my autistic brain does not do. Their brain does, but it's because it can run that neurotypical thought process, and mine cannot. It's like one gift I gave myself after realizing that I was autistic is I realized I am absolutely never going to be able to figure out all of the things that can hurt neurotypical people's feelings. I can't because everything is personal to them and they interpret stuff in ways I could try so hard to see it from every angle and still they will get their feelings hurt by something that I just, I can't comprehend how you get your feelings hurt by that. And I have had neurodivergent people being like, you should be able to, like, no, I should, no, that is not how my brain works. I give myself permission to stop trying to learn every freaking thing that hurts your feelings because it doesn't make sense to me. I will make a reasonable good faith effort. And after that, you have to make a reasonable good faith effort to interpret me as an autistic person. So. What is it, a neurodivergent person? Well, it varies very widely. And it depends a lot to, yeah, someone's environment and their values. I think it's pretty amazing to have both of those thought processes. Like, it's super cool 
because there are certain things, even for as well as I can understand the neurotypical thought process, it's still, it's a hypothetical, or not hypothetical, it's an intellectual exercise for my brain. It's not something I can really ever feel. And, like, I think it's awesome. The like, my best friend, she can. She can perceive these things that I never will. I don't really, I don't really want to, like, that bad. Because <laughs> a lot of it does seem pretty painful. You know, there's a lot of hurt feelings and status and competition. But that's also why sometimes it's hard to be a non-autistic neurodivergent person. Because they will be different enough that neurotypical people know that's not one of us on some strange instinctive level. But they still get their feelings hurt by that stuff. Like, the status stuff is real to them. And man, a lot of that shit, I just didn't even notice that it was happening. So I did not get my feelings hurt by it. And there's a lot of stuff, even if I know it's happening, I can't get my feelings hurt by it because it doesn't mean anything to me. If somebody's trying to talk down to me, like, and be condescending, that can't hurt my feelings because it's silly. But for a non-autistic neurodivergent person who does have those visceral feelings of status and for whom the social story can feel very real, that stuff can be extremely hurtful. Neurodivergent people can also struggle a lot because they have essentially two voices in their brain that have different priorities. And so they might make a choice and then feel terrible about it. If that instinctive thought process said, you got to do what's good for you, and then later that rational thought process, like, no, that was selfish and bad. They feel, feel terrible. Like, the neurotypical person is never going to feel terrible. Because for them, it is right to make the choice that is good for you. Their brain weights that more heavily because it's them. And it always will. Because neurotypical brains are always trying to avoid things that hurt and pursue things that feel good, they really do not engage in a lot of, like, self-blame. If something bad happens, they blame it on somebody else, something else. They get mad. They think, uh, this person, they made me feel this way. Only they can fix this feeling that they have made me feel. And that seems, I, I, you know, I guess kind of easy. <laughs> and, uh, in general, from what I've noticed, neurodivergent people blame themselves. Because also, <laughs> when neurotypical people are always putting the blame on other people, but when neurodivergent and autistic people don't realize that that is what's happening, we take it for granted that, like, oh, this is true. They're mad at me, so clearly I'm in the wrong, I did something wrong. And when you have one person who always pushes blame outward, and another person who always absorbs blame inward, well, that makes for some very toxic dynamics. I don't think that there's any value in, like, judging how another person's brain functions. And I don't think there's any value in trying to change how somebody else's brain functions. It doesn't work. Like, I can't 
be different. I can't not be autistic. So a neurotypical person can't not be neurotypical. So I can't say, hey, you got to stop putting the blame on other people. I just don't have to believe it. When they put the blame on you, just don't internalize it. Say, oh, I know what they're doing. They're putting the blame outwards because that's how their brain handles that kind of information. It doesn't see any value in internalizing it. Why? That would just hurt them. That's not good for them. What is the point? What is the value in that? And that's a fair question. What is the value for a living creature that is trying to survive in the evolutionary jungle of embracing <laughs> feeling like shit about yourself and not putting your own survival first and potentially allowing yourself to be harmed because we think that's morally better? My point here is that there is <laughs> none of these are right because <laughs> these are not universal truths. Not everything is a competition. We do not have to judge everything in relationship to other things. Not everything needs to be ranked. And neurotypical people are <laughs> never going to agree with me on that. Their brains are going to do that anyways. Their brains are in a competition anyways. Their brains are going to rank things anyways. Doesn't mean I have to do it. Now, I do urge you, if there's any of this that you don't believe me about, I just, I really do urge you to get over it because this has all <laughs> just been verified so many times with so many people. And I think it harms us to not truly accept and acknowledge just how different other people's brains work. And we frequently, just as humans, harm each other by treating each other the way we want to be treated. Because what makes a neurotypical person feel better is not what makes me feel better, and vice versa. In the face of fear, anxiety, difficult situations, neurotypical people comfort each other's feelings. They say, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. It's not going to be bad. Whether everything's going to be fine or not. Because that's <laughs> what they need. They know already in some way that everything might not be fine. And they need their emotions managed. And they manage them together socially. For an autistic person, this is not helpful at all. In fact, it's quite dangerous. A lot of times we don't know how bad something might be because it's a situation that exists in a neurotypical world that doesn't make inherent sense to us. And now we don't have the information we need to handle that situation. Autistic people would rather have bad news that makes us feel bad, but helps us understand. That makes no sense to a neurotypical person. They don't need to understand. They don't want to feel bad. Does one of those things make more sense? Is one of those more logical than the other? No. Is it more logical that we would choose to feel bad just so we can understand stuff? Why? And yet, I would rather feel bad and have more information. Because that's just how my brain is. I don't need my emotions managed socially. I don't want that. That doesn't work for me at all. And yet, if I try to help, uh, like even say, okay, so once again, my best friend, Frida. Yes, she is neurodivergent. But a lot of her emotions work in this 
more neurotypical way. And so if she's stressed about something, if she has a problem, she does not want me to immediately try to fix it. She wants the emotional management socially. So she wants me to say, dang, that sucks. That doesn't make any sense to me. I can't feel better about something just because someone else recognizes that it's bad, but it's still not solved. I'm not going to feel better till it's solved. So this is even hard for me. This is her problem. And yet she won't let me solve it. So now I'm miserable. (laughs) But these things are actually not really that hard to figure out how to make two different ways of thinking and feeling and communicating work together. Like, we've established if uh, Frida is in a bad mood or something bad has happened, she wants to just be heard, and I can literally just listen and say, that sucks. If I don't know what else to say, I can just say, that sucks. That is what she wants. And she knows that I can't do that for very long. So if she needs a very, you know, extended empathy bitching sesh, she will go to a different friend. Because I don't have that much of it to offer. And like, people can do that with each other. If we just actually understand how our brains work, how other people's brains work, and acknowledge that other people are different. They are that different. Their brain works in a way that makes no fucking sense to your brain. And yet it is equally valid. It works equally well. We are all here for a reason. Because evolution didn't kill us off yet. Because clearly, the way we are is a valuable way to be a human being. Telling ourselves and each other, deep down, we're all the same. It doesn't help us. Because we're frequently not feeling the same things and talking about the same things. We're using the same words but not having the same experiences, our emotions work quite differently. For autistic people, emotions are these physical things that we feel, and we frequently struggle to figure out what exactly is this feeling. Sometimes we need time. Sometimes we need a lot of time. A neurotypical person will generally know how they feel right then, and it will be a fairly broad label. They're sad, they're mad, they're happy. Because it doesn't really matter to them if it's like a more nuanced version of that. And for them, it's not usually a feeling in their body. (laughs) This is another thing people frequently argue with me about because they just don't think it's possible. But for most neurotypical people, they don't have that many feelings in their body. They have these feelings that are kind of like thoughts. They'll have a feeling that is just in their head. That's like, I'm sad. I'm mad. That is that. And I only know this because Frida explained it to me. Because she has these. Her brain does that. And then I just started asking other people. Do you have these feelings that are like thoughts? And you just know you're sad? And they do. I don't. That's not how my brain works. Never will be. And... They can have feelings in their body, but it's got to be something really intense. And that's why certain things, they become, you know, like, cliches and poetic prose, like butterflies in your chest. That's how you feel when you see, you know, your 
Edward Cullen. But, like, an autistic person is going to feel shit like that every day. 20 times a day. And then we're led to believe that, like, we don't know our feelings. We have a hard time understanding our feelings. No, these words aren't describing the same thing in us that is in them. And also, neurotypical people don't know their feelings either. They just don't really care. They can still put a label on it and announce it as a feeling. And it doesn't really matter if they know exactly what it is or not. They're not better at knowing their feelings. <laughs> it's definitely not kind to expect other people to be able to do things their brains don't do. Like, we have this weird, uh, sick thing, which both autistic and neurotypical people do, where we, like, don't want to say this other neurotype can't do something that ours can do because we feel that that is insulting to them in some way. But then that means we are asking them to do something that their brain is not built to do, which can only be harmful. If you say, you know, <laughs> oh, Erica, she's autistic, but autistic people can do everything neurotypical people can do. And then you expect me to interpret all of your subtext correctly? And do you think that if I make you mad, I did it on purpose? No, that's fucked up. That's cruel. And then if I expect neurotypical people to make decisions without considering what is best for them, well, I'm going to be disappointed. I mean, I think we see this a lot. <laughs> like, we wonder, why won't people stay home during COVID? Why won't they stay home? Because you're asking them to do something they don't want to, <laughs> and they don't see any benefit to themselves. So they're not going to be able to make themselves do it for very often. And then we can be on our high horse and say, oh, they should. Well, that doesn't fucking matter. But if we paid them to stay home, then they'd stay home. <laughs> we can just work with each other how we actually are. Because our neurotypes are not going to change, at least without, I don't know, a million years of evolution. And I'm not saying this is easy or effortless for me either. Like, for me, seeing all the data points separately of their own merit, and then analyzing them without just using assumptions given to me by my culture or other people, that is so obviously logical. But when I do that, when I present information based off of data that I have put together and analyzed, and I don't have the correct authority to do that, or <laughs> that makes people very upset. And then that makes me upset. <laughs> and it's hard for me to really acknowledge, like, they can't just see the data for what it is on its own out of its cultural context. They can't. So I can't ask them to do it. We can't ask neurotypical people to stop framing everything in a way that benefits themselves and makes them look good. We can't ask them to stop blaming us for stuff. We have to stop believing them. Why is autism considered a disorder? Because neurotypical people decided so. They're always going to do that. That's how they are. It, at a certain point, it's on us if we agree. I don't fucking agree. Also, like, <laughs> well, I'm going to brag because I don't think there's anything wrong with it. <laughs> My brain figured out how other people's brains work and think, and I can explain to them how they think and they agree with me. 
I have not actually ever met anyone else whose brain is as good as that, at that, as mine. I had known I was autistic for all of two weeks, and I <laughs> was putting things together that people who were autistic and have been thinking about it and advocating for it for years were like, holy shit. I was helping people understand themselves. And to me, it's obvious, easy. So is my brain disordered and flawed? <laughs> Fuck no. It's cool as shit that my brain can figure that out because it's not personal. It's not based in my own opinion. My brain just put together a whole bunch of data points. And luckily, my subconscious can crunch all that together. Like, my conscious brain couldn't do that. My conscious brain is not that smart. The subconscious did it for me. A lot of neurotypical people, they can't even believe that that's possible because their brain would not do that. Because they don't process things data point by data point. But that's also why they can get more stuff done in a day than I can. Because they don't have to think about every single little thing. There are advantages to being like them. There are advantages to being like me. Unfortunately, our society has decided being like them is the only correct way to be. And has made it very hard to be like me. I think we should all be allowed to play to our strengths and be forgiven our weaknesses. And I guess I don't really have an option besides just keep advocating for that. Keep making my life the best I can. And refusing to accept that just because our entire society says that there is something wrong with us, that doesn't fucking mean there's something wrong with us. That's just their opinion. I think I've laid enough on you and it's time to wrap this up. But as a final note, I will say, the people who most often have a hard time believing me are neurodivergent people, non-autistic neurodivergent people, because their brains can think both of these ways, it is frequently very hard for them to believe that anybody else can't. And so if you're thinking that right now, I just want you to catch yourself. Like whatever you're thinking about, no, everyone thinks that, no. Nope. Like it's actually really rewarding to allow yourself to completely change your mind, to let go of things that you thought were foundational to reality and see things for the way they are. I mean, that's what the show is about. Rethinking reality. It's fun. Exciting. It's interesting. Because I'm autistic. I like interesting things. That's what I care about. So I don't really care if it's hard. Or requires a lot of reflection on myself. Or, you know, sometimes criti being critical of myself. Because it's interesting. And that is just the autistic way of thinking. And I think I can simultaneously have a personal biased opinion that, uh, yeah, I'd rather have this kind of brain. I think it's better. <laughs> but objectively, I know they're, you know, they're both equally good, equally valuable. And I know neurotypical people sure as shit don't want to be like me. That's kind of the, the final thing. That even people who think they hate their brain... People who think they don't want to be autistic, they think they don't want to have ADHD, they never really understand everything that comes with that. Everything you like about yourself is also because of your neurotype. No one actually wants a different neurotype. Nobody. We all like our own the best. And that is great. Thank God, huh? Well, this is a huge topic to try and explain in an hour and a half. I'd love to hear from you guys if this 
made sense. If you need more, um, if you have questions, if you want to explore a certain part of this, um, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at delphiapothecary at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok at Erica Heidewald. And um, you can subscribe to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Erica Heidewald for lots of exclusive stuff, honestly. <laughs> I've got a whole Patreon-exclusive podcast with my friend Josh where we have autistic conversations about <laughs> random deep topics. Um, there's a, a blog about neurodiversity topics and just other fun stuff. And you can help me survive in a world that is not built for me. Thanks. If you enjoyed this, please do subscribe to the podcast, share it, rate it. Help me out, you know. Be a pal. Thanks for listening. See you next time.